Hola y bienvenidos a la Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Baudes y presidente es la mejor cerveza. Y Deadwater son los mejores bebidas. No abate Porno Filter Network. Will the Thrill y Miguelito Sandiaguito. But, dead or alive, job or no job, here or not here, each and every single morning we come on here, we are going to salute our boys properly. Yes, 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 yes! Woo! Remember this, folks? When we are juiceful, we are useful, and when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. A very pleasant good morning to you on the 5th day of December 2023. We are just 19 days away from Christmas. That's right. It is coming. Uh, let's not forget, though, the title sponsor here, Bet Online. That's right. The holiday season is off and rolling with the NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL in mid-season form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. You have the Bet online up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. It is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. Is there a such thing as amateur sports anymore? I mean, that's the question. I didn't ask you, Syrian. Why are you always listening? Fuck. Anyway, with college athletes getting paid now, it's just there's there's no amateur sports. It's all pro at this point, especially the transfer portals and everything else going on. But I don't think, you know, especially in the college ranks, you could even refer to them as amateur sports. But regardless, who gives a shit? Because all we really care about as gamblers is, is there a line? I don't know if there will be one this weekend as the LTP boys head down to Huntington Beach for a big super regional NIT tournament. Anyhow, head to bet online today and remember to use the promo code BLEAVE, capital B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Also, don't forget our, about our partners at KT Tape. That's right, in the upper, there it is, left-hand corner. You can hit the QR code and go and get yourself some KT Tape if you're dealing with any general soreness, I don't know, old injuries, issues, whatever. The premise of the tape, it lifts the skin up, promotes blood flow to the area, reduces inflammation and alleviates pain i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist did not stay the holiday Inn express last night but this shit works how do i know i use it simple as that and lastly here as we run through our title sponsors each and every morning this is verge go ahead and go to tryverge.com 
to get this shot of life. It's ginger, lemon, cannabis gets you into that happy zone that'll keep you in that sustained energy place where you want to be through the course of the day. So on that note, salute. Mm. As for our guy, Jory, over there, too. He will take very good care of you. Okay. The Daily Hustle email this morning. Really enjoyed writing this one. Talk about going down there onto the tread and thinking that I'm actually going to write about one thing and end up writing about something else. And that's what happened this morning. Buenos dias. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. On this day in 1848, our 11th president of the United States, James K. Polk, addressed Congress and confirmed a gold discovery in California, triggering the massive gold rush of 1849. Daily Hustle quote of the day, the strength and prosperity of our country lie not in the accumulation of wealth, but in the well-being and happiness of its people. James K. Polk, Daily Hustle translation, America has long been known as the land of opportunity. We were born a country of go-hards willing to chase adventures and experiences. Yes, the gold rush obviously inspired those chasing financial wealth, but the strength and prosperity of our nation was on full display with the establishment of the Western United States and overall, quote, well-being and happiness that followed. Interestingly, James K. Polk. Oh, let's try this again. Interestingly, James K. Polk was one of the best presidents in the United States. In in America. Hold on. Uh, the reason why I'm laughing is this. It's because we were downstairs 10 minutes ago. And Tara had asked Biscuit to read something out loud. And he's like, no, I'm good. I read, I read aloud in second grade. Like a bro, like that's not the point. Like your mother asked you to read something aloud, you read it aloud. Just read. And it's just really good for you. And he's like, not interested. I go, listen, dude, do you know how to read? Which is the question I like to ask him often to get him going. And he's like, yes, I know how to read. And he starts reading whatever it was. I said, see, okay, it's not that hard. Well, part of reading and reading aloud is, number one, it helps with this, say, public speaking type thing, right? And the other thing is, I think it's really good for our English and our pronunciation and our diction and all of that. And you have to learn how to read. There's an art to it. So, and I told him. You know, he's like, oh, well, you're perfect, and you do this and this, and he was being very facetious. Like, dude, I'm far from perfect. Every morning when I go and write a daily hustle and then read the daily hustle, I fuck up along the way. I do. And this is the perfect fuck-up spot I'm talking about. But still, it's great practice. So let's go back to today's daily hustle. Interestingly, James K. Polk was one of the best presidents in American history, and my guess is 90% of you Daily Hustlers reading this had no fucking clue. At 49, Polk was actually our youngest president ever elected when he took office in 1845. He was a huge advocate of Western expansion 
and during his campaign promise to serve only one term with four very specific agenda items, reestablish the independent treasury system, reduce tariffs, acquire the Oregon territory, and annex California and the Southwest from Mexico. Four years later, when he left office, Polk had accomplished all four items on his agenda and is widely known by historians as one of the most efficient and effective presidents in American history. Yet, despite all of his successes, and just about all presidents are, as just about all presidents are during their tenure, Polk was often ridiculed and highly criticized, leading him to declare, quote, I am heartedly rejoiced that my term is about to expire. I have been the most abused and slandered president who ever filled the office. I'm guessing he's not the first president to leave office saying the same shit. So, on the anniversary of the James K. Polk address to address to Congress that ignited the gigantic gold rush and future name for the NFL's best football team, let's raise one up and pour some out for all the hard chargers who pioneered their way and the much underappreciated president responsible for their relentless efforts. Go Niners and AI Polk for President 2024, EB. I wonder how many people got that at the end. Because you know AI looks like Al, right? So, this is scary too. Because this is very, very fucking possible. Where we are going to have an AI president down the road. Think about it though. It'd be like, what would Polk do? What would Abraham Lincoln do? You go back and you grab some of the best presidents of all time. What would Teddy Roosevelt do in this situation? And then we make a decision. So we'll see. I'm not sure if it will happen in my lifetime, but I honestly think there's a chance. All right. The articles for today. Let's just start with what we were talking about yesterday because it got a lot of attention and I still think everybody's pretty fresh off of the 49ers victory. Uh, The talking heads, you know, are going to have their opinions one way or another on what this game actually meant. And I don't think there's a better place to go to get his opinion when it comes to this sort of stuff. Then Stephen A. Smith, just an absolute savage of the fucking industry and somebody who is not afraid to make a statement. So Stephen A. believes the Eagles lost to the 49ers delegitimized the NFC title. This is incredible. Sunday's game between the 49ers and Philadelphia Eagles wasn't your ordinary Week 13 matchup. The highly anticipated meeting was a rematch of the heart-shattering NFC Championship game that sent the 49ers home last season after both of their active quarterbacks, Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson, sustained injuries. After the loss, many 49ers players were adamant that San Francisco would have won the game if Purdy didn't get hurt. 11 months later, they got a chance to prove it. And ESPN's Stephen A. Smith believes they did just that with a 42-19 beatdown of the Eagles. Quote, 
I am going to say it because it needs to be said. The kind of beatdown that took place yesterday, one could argue it delegitimized the Philadelphia Eagles as NFC champions. Smith said this Monday morning on first take, quote, four quarterbacks for one team go down in the same year. Have you seen that in NFL history? They had no quarterbacks behind center from the second quarter on in an NFC championship game. What I'm bringing up is that Debo Samuel comes on first take during the Super Bowl week and privately off the air, he's pretty ticked off because he's like, we should be here. Then we come in here and we're looking forward to this. They've been talking about how we should have been the ones that were there, not y'all. They showed up, they talked trash, they came onto the field, walked right through midfield, right past the Eagles, just shoving them to the side, letting them know that we are here to kick your ass, and then promptly went out there and kicked ass. This is fantastic. During the sixth play of the NFC title loss, Purdy sustained a torn UCL on the throwing elbow that requires significant offseason surgery later in the third quarter he was forced to re-enter the game after johnson sustained a concussion but he couldn't throw the game quickly turned into an unbearable almost unwatchable contest as eagles as eagles ticket to the super bowl lvii became increasingly clear but in sunday's game purdy was more than perfectly healthy he had a big game brother love 19 to 27 314 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and single-handedly won me my fantasy league. The 49ers' goal every week is to win, but as the team traveled back to Philadelphia on Sunday, it might have had just a little extra motivation. Steve Day's right. 100% delegitimized that shit. Yeah. Eagles were not winning that NFC Championship game if Brock Purdy stays healthy. Different story. But, look. I'm not going to make it a, well, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle type thing. It didn't happen. The statement that needed to be made was made. Now it's a matter of where are we going to go from here? The only thing that anyone should be concerned about is the next performance. So even if you're the Eagles, I find solace in the fact that, yeah, all right, you got us. We'll see you next time, motherfuckers. But... Just know that the Eagles, between now and then, may, better make some adjustments. They're just not as good of a football team as the San Francisco 49ers are, plain and simple. Okay, the other thing was last night, another star QB goes down. Yup. Oh, geez. Uh, this is an article from SI. It says, good morning. I'm Dan Gartland. Hello, Dan. Say a prayer for anyone who's a fan of both the Jaguars and Florida State. Ominous clouds for the Jags. Stop me if you've heard this before, but a star quarterback has gone down with a potentially serious injury. The Jaguars' Trevor Lawrence is the latest QB to get hurt. His lower leg was stepped on in the fourth quarter of last night's game against the Bengals. The injury came when teammate Walker Little was forced back 
by pass rusher Trey Hendrickson and inadvertently stepped on Lawrence's ankle. Hendrickson and Jags receiver Zay Jones helped Lawrence's feet, but he fell to the grass again immediately, eliciting a collective gasp from the Jacksonville crowd that was audible on the broadcast. Strangely, rather than be taken back to the locker room on a cart, Lawrence slowly made the long trek down the tunnel, limping heavily. Lawrence has a sprained ankle. I don't have any information yet on Trevor Jaguars coach Doug Pearson said after the game, we're still evaluating. Okay. Uh, veteran backup CJ Beathard took over for Lawrence after the injury and led a late field goal drive to send the game with overtime. But Beathard's biggest play of the night, a 43-yard bomb to Calvin Ridley on third down on the first possession of OT was wiped out by an offensive holding penalty. Yeah, that was a crusher for the Jags. That was it. I mean, that's a game. I mean, the night before, we had a pass interference penalty that wasn't called that ended up costing the Chiefs the game. And then yesterday, you had a holding penalty that was called that ended up costing the Jaguars the game. The timing of Lawrence's injury is troublesome. The Jacks' next two games are against teams with fearsome pass rushes that are capable of causing nightmares for even the best quarterbacks, let alone one with just six, one start since 2018. The Jacks travel to Cleveland to face a Browns team that is second in the league in quarterback pressure rate. Then they have a home game against the Ravens, who lead the league in sacks. 52 different quarterbacks started a game this year which is on par for the number of unique starters to this point of the season the past five seasons an average of 52.4 players have started at least one game at quarterback through week 13 but what makes this season noteworthy is the number of high profile qbs who've been sidelined and there are still five weeks left in the regular season so the 52, I would not have guessed that. I mean, that's a lot, right? That's basically saying like half the teams have had multiple quarterbacks. Yeah, that's right. You have 32 teams. Yeah, 52. So, yeah, more than half the teams. So, here are the big names that have gone down. You got Trevor Lawrence. Actually... Wait, what the fuck? Hold on a second. Everyone chill out. We got breaking news here. A bunch of breaking news. But this is the one that caught my eye. Well, let's go down. Trevor Lawrence's injury put a damper on what's supposed to be a special night in Jacksonville. Pat Ford and Richard Johnson have a guide to the most impactful players in college football's transfer portal thus far. Speaking of transfer reporter, Michael Rosenberg wrote about how the NC2A has allowed NIL deals to become the Wild West. That's true. Speculation about Shoei Otani's destination continues to swirl. Stephanie Epstein connected a few dots that point toward the Blue Jays being a serious contender to land them. No fucking chance. It's not happening. Zach Wilson is reportedly reluctant to start for the Jets. Again this season. Zach Wilson's reluctant? I mean, I, what you think the Jets are reluctant? 
The Dodgers are moving Mookie Betts to the infield full-time. Yeah. He could do it. Arguably the best athlete in the game of baseball. I like him in the outfield, though. But if you need him as an infielder, you need him as an infielder. Alabama quarterback Tyler Buckner is reportedly entering the transfer portal to play lacrosse. This is a wild story. Hmm. So I followed Buckner for a long time now because he went to Bishops in San Diego. And it's actually in La Jolla. And he was friends with the LaRocca family, who some of my best friends in the world. And I remember hearing about him, and he had committed to play lacrosse at Michigan when he was like a freshman. He's just like this insane lacrosse player, but he was also a quarterback. So he ends up getting a full ride to go to Notre Dame. He goes to Notre Dame. He's there for, I think, two years and then transfers to Alabama because they brought in Sam Hartman to Notre Dame. And he was going to compete for the Alabama job. Well, he got a start earlier this season with Alabama, and it didn't go well. And that was pretty much it. So he's been riding the pine for the Crimson Tide, which then brings up the issue, well, geez, if I'm not going to start this year, am I going to start next year? And do I really want to be here in Alabama? This is a problem with the transfer portal and NIL and everything else is that it's just so fleeting. And so the stories of the Tom Brady's of the world that go and are seven string quarterbacks that work their way up to number one, don't start until their redshirt junior year, they're plentiful, or they were plentiful, and now they're basically fucking extinct. Everybody wants it, and they want it now. And so here's Buckner where, geez, it didn't work out at Notre Dame. It didn't work out at Alabama. So he's off to play in fucking lacrosse? Dude, if I'm him, I'm going to have to believe in my ability as a quarterback still. And if I got to imagine you're that high level of a quarterback. Your dream would be play quarterback in the NFL. That's number one priority. I do feel like, yeah, you got to play. So maybe a transfer, say, for example, to a smaller division one school would be a fantastic idea. Go play with Brent Brennan at San Jose state. Get yourself a shot where you know, you're going to be the guy and there's no if, ands or buts about it. That's a problem with the big-time schools, is that you're not going to have that time to develop. So unless you're developing as a freshman, sophomore, junior, under another quarterback and learning the system, unless you're willing to go through that process, it's really hard to come in immediately and make an impact. Obviously, Buckner figured that out the hard way, so he's on to the next school and apparently to play a different sport. The article reads, Alabama backup quarterback Tyler Buckner entered the NCAA transfer portal on Monday, but as a men's lacrosse player, Buckner, the backup to Crimson Time starter Jalen Milrow and former Notre Dame signal caller, played lacrosse in high school as we consider a top recruit in the sport. Thalmo reported that Buckner is expecting to explore his lacrosse options in the spring of 2024 
but is not ruling out a return to football. The 21-year-old spent three years at the Bishop's School in La Jolla. See? What did I tell you guys? Before transferring to Helix High in La Mesa in his senior season. Ahead of that season, Buckner was in competition with Milrow and Ty Simpson to become the Crimson Tide starting quarterback. When Alabama head coach Dick Saban benched Milrow, he elected to start Buckner in the Crimson Tide 17-3 win against South Florida on September 16th. Buckner finished the game with 34 passing yards and 11 yards on the ground before he was replaced by Simpson in the contest. Prior to joining Alabama, Buckner started three games at Notre Dame in 2022 before he suffered an injury. After the season, he transferred to join Crimson Tide offensive coordinator Tommy Rees, who previously served as the Fighting Irish's offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach from 20 to 2022. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, your guy goes there and he's probably like, look, you know the system. He was electric as a freshman. He come in and he made some big fucking plays. But, you know, you're Notre Dame. You had a chance to get Hartman, who's an ACC all-time passing leader. You're like, yeah, I'm all in. Why wouldn't I do that? And then Buckner at that point said, screw it. Now, if I were Buckner, yeah, you know, again, if you're getting recruited by fucking Alabama and you have a chance to be the starting quarterback, I guess why not go? But it just seems to me like everything's so gushy and fleeting. So here was a story that really caught my eye here. Sad news coming out of Sacramento. A fan died during the first quarter of the Pelicans-Kings in-season tournament quarterfinal game at Golden One Center in Sacramento on Monday night. The Sacramento Metro Fire Department responded to a medical emergency at Golden One Center at approximately 725, according to Fox 40 News. The department was notified that a man in his 30s was unresponsive and paramedics administered CPR for 20 minutes but were unable to resuscitate him. The man was pronounced dead at the scene. The Kings released a statement about the incident after the game. During the first quarter of the Kings-Pelican game, a guest had a medical emergency. The team said, per ESPN's Mark Spears, EMS immediately responded and administered CPR. Tragically, these efforts were unsuccessful, and the guest passed away. The organization offers the deepest condolences to the guest families and loved ones. After the Kings 127 to 117 loss to the Pelicans, Sacramento Ford, Keegan Murray said the team was not aware of the situation involving the fan. Murray told ESPN, as a team, we give our condolences. Hopefully the family is being taken care of. Yeah, so sad news coming out of Sacramento. Not really much information on what happened. Okay, let's get to a couple of the uh, final talking points here. The top five things that I saw last night. Now, again, this is all the Sports Illustrated article. Number, number five, Jake Browning pinpoint passing on the Bengals' first touchdown drive. Browning was on fire last night, completing 32 or 37 passes for 354 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, good on Jake Browning. I mean, apparently, it's been a long time since this guy's won a football game. Number four, the Jets' tic-tac-toe passing to set up a goal 
for Nicola Ellers. Huh? The Bengals' terrible trick play that resulted in an interception. Yeah, the Bengals, look, you're already down to, what, second, third QB, and you don't want to go to your fourth or fifth. That was a fucking debacle of the play. Number two, Zach Eddy's vicious block on a player a foot shorter than him. And number one, the playoff-like atmosphere in Indianapolis during the final minutes of the Pacers' in-season tournament quarterfinal win over the Celtics. Oh, fuck. Come on. Seriously? I don't know. I can't say I've been able to get into the in-season tournament thing. I just, I don't get it. And if I don't get it, maybe that's on me as a fan and not paying much attention. I'm a casual NBA fan. I like it. I mean, it's NBA action. It's fantastic. As Marv Albert used to always tell us. But uh, anyhow, okay, the NC2A is proposing a massive, massive change. That's right. The NC2A proposing new college athletics subdivision rooted in direct athlete compensation. Like I mentioned earlier, there's no such thing as amateur sports anymore. Of the many recent changes in college athletics, the most transformative and revolutionary may be on the way. NC2A President Charlie Baker is planning to introduce this week a proposal to create a new subdivision within Division One that grants certain schools more autonomy around policymaking and permits them to compensate athletes in a new and profound way. In a letter sent to Division One members and obtained by Yahoo Sports, Baker outlines a groundbreaking and radical change to the NC2A Division One athletics model describing it as a new forward-looking framework. According to Baker, Baker's proposal, the schools that choose to be a part of the new subdivision, they can opt in or out, are required to meet a strict minimum standard rooted in athlete investment. Members of the new subdivision will be permitted to strike name, image, and likeness deals with their own athletes. A significant move away from the current NIL structure. However, the most impactful benefit of this new model is a framework in which schools can directly compensate athletes through a trust fund. Schools within the new subdivision will be required to distribute to athletes thousands of dollars in additional educational-related funds without limitation. There is no cap on the amount of funds that a program can provide an athlete. It is perhaps the single most revolutionary concept introduced by a sitting NC2A leader in college athletics history. It kickstarts a long overdue conversation among the membership that focuses on the difference, the differences that exist between schools, conferences, and divisions, and how to create a more permissive and flexible rules across NC2A that puts student athletes first, Baker writes in the letter. Colleges and universities need to be more flexible and the NC2A needs to be more flexible too. So it says how it will work. The proposal is a culmination of months long review that Baker and staff conducted. One of his top priorities after taking over from Mark Emery in March, several high ranking athletic administrators were previously briefed on the model, but were not provided specifics until the letter arrived. Entry to the subdivision requires a school to invest a minimum of $30,000 per year per athlete 
into what is termed enhanced educational trust fund for at least half of a school's countable athletes. Schools would determine when athletes receive the amount, which for four-year athletes will total at least $120,000. Schools must continue to abide by the framework of Title IX, assuring that 50% of the investment be directed toward women athletes. The new subdivision will remain under the umbrella of the NC2A and its members will continue to compete for NC2A championships with other Division I schools. Under the proposal, the NC2A maintains oversight of the existing national championship model across Division I sports, except FBS football, which continues to operate under the rubric of the college football playoff. Baker wrote in a letter, schools in the subdivision would also gain control of decision-making around scholarship limits and countable coaches. The NC2A's way of handing major conference programs the freedom to increase the limits or do away with them altogether. The model gives the educational institutions with more visibility, the most financial resources and the biggest brands, an opportunity to choose to operate with a different set of rules that more accurately reflect their scale in their operating models. Okay. Yeah, this is gold. 100%. Why this is needed. This is Baker's model's anticipated step toward the long ballyhooed separation of the NC2A's high revenue producing athletic departments from the lower resource brethren. While all schools are eligible to join the subdivision, the proposal would likely force a formal split within the football bowl subdivision and the Power Five, soon to be Power Four conferences, the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, and Big 12. I mean, what would it do? It's going to do away with all the little guys. It says, what does this mean? In a sense, this would allow institutions to purchase the NIL rights of their athletes, a concept suggested by athletic administrators over the last several years. Dude, can we call it what we fucking should call it, please? This is pro sports. I mean, why are we complicating this? That's really bad, but it's a stepping stone. So, yeah, dude, there does need to be some regulation. You do have to separate the big boys from the not. You have to. This is a have and have not. You have to take these power four conferences. It's sad that we're even saying that, right? Because it was power five, but now the death of the Pac-12. But pretty much you got to take those schools. And you have to create a set of rules for them. And then there's everybody else. But if I'm everybody else, I think I'm embracing this. It's like, fuck off. You guys go do your own thing. And we're going to do ours. And we'll play within our rules. And I'd come up with a own playoff system and everything else. Like the, what is it, the FBS teams do? Or FCS teams do? There's just, it, it needs to be separated out now more than ever. Because... It's becoming a lot harder for these smaller schools without the trust fund. But look the fuck out because I do like how it's open. So who has the biggest endowment in college sports? Anybody know? Yale. I'm taking a guess. Not a thousand percent sure on this. 
And you want to know who's probably number two? Or damn near it? Stanford. So you take these schools with gigantic fucking endowments, and then all of a sudden, they become major players. They do. Now, is a Yale and a Stanford going to actually do that? I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But mm, I sure would like to see them get after it. All right. Um, closing up here. Getting ready to go to Reno for the day. Let's hit the MLB rumors for today. Are you leaving? Okay. So apparently we're not going with you. Yeah, we are going separate. Hasta luego. It's my wife. Adios. The MLB rumors. Brand new team in on Bellinger. Cubs in on a huge name. Erod market. Heat and more. Isaiah Kiner Falafa drawing a huge market. Really? Connor Falava played just about every position for the New York Yankees last season. Technically, his ERA plus is 209. It's a wonder teams aren't scouting him for his arm. Connor Falafa was bounced from shortstop where he played most of his games with the Yankees in 2022, but remained a team player. Eager to get into the game in whatever capacity the team would use him, he saw some run at various infield positions throughout 2023, but mostly emerged as an outfielder due to the team, despite never having played any of the three positions in the majors before that point, Connor Falafa's willingness to be a team player has earned him plenty of interest as a free agent with as many as 12 teams looking to sign him. This is fucking awesome. I mean, chalk it up to the team guy, right? This is a big win for somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes to help the team. I can tell you as a youth baseball coach, my very favorite player is the one when I ask him, yo, where do you play? Wherever you put me, coach. <laughs> That's it. Because even if they don't play second or they don't play third or whatever it is, if that's what we need, you just go out there and do it. Make the play. It's not hard. And I love the one that's willing to go play somewhere. Go say, go play in the outfield when they've never played there before. You need to strap on the tools of in- ignorance. Go ahead and do that too. Be a ball player. Be an athlete. Connor Falafa. Awesome, dude. Hopefully he gets broke off. Eduardo Rodriguez. Deal is expected to come soon. Eduardo Rodriguez's market is heating up. John Paul Morrissey reports that the pitcher is aggressively trying to find his new home. In Nashville, meeting with various teams. Yep, so he's in Nashville at the winter meeting. His, he hints that Rodriguez is expected to ink a deal with a team before Shohei Otani does. Much remains to be seen about Otani's timeline, with the most recent news being that he traveled to Florida to visit with the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay. You guys still buying it? I mean, uh, maybe this is just to drive up the price. Maybe not. Maybe Otani actually likes it there. I mean, why wouldn't he? Toronto's a great city. It's just, it's socialist. They're going to take 60% of your fucking money, dude. Yeah. 
I yeah, just I don't see it happening. Uh, last year, across 26 starts, Rodriguez had a 3.30 ERA and a 1.153 WHIP. He ranked in the 92nd percentile in pitching run value. He's fucking good. He's really good. Uh, the Cubs are projected toward Yamamoto. Rumors can be deceiving, especially when it comes to the often private Shohei Otani. But the latest whispers would indicate that the Cubs are not the front runners to get Otani. If they can't add him, there are still some major moves they could make on the heels of hiring Craig Council to manage the team and push towards another World Series. John Morrissey really likes the Cubs as possible landing spot for Yamamoto. Yamamoto, I think, is the top candidate for the Cubs to get. We know they want to find a way to make a big splash in the rotation. So look out for the Cubs to go for Yamamoto, who was an ace on the WBC Japanese team. He's filthy. Mariners possibly looking into getting Cody Bellinger. Bellinger signed a one-year deal worth $20 million last season with Chicago Cubs to reinvent his reputation, mission accomplished as the outfielder first baseman is expected to get a huge deal this offseason after he put up an OPS 33% better than league average. That would be 133 then. I like how they went ahead and uh, broke it down that way. An OPS, so a standard OPS is 100. And then if you're 33%, Above league averages, well, 133. So that's what it was. Bellinger brings some concerns, most notably how indicative his 2023 is for the future performance. There are more bad years in recent history at the plate for Bellinger than good years. I'm, I'm just looking at what you've done for me lately. That's the best indication. At least one team will pay his massive sum. And with agent Scott Boris representing him, you can bet the league's top negotiator will get his client a great deal after he gave him all the ammunition he needed to do so with the Cubs. Chicago would love to bring him back, but may not be able to afford it. I mean, you just said you're going after Otani. You just said you're going after Yamamoto. And you're telling me you can't fucking afford Cody Bellinger? Bullshit. Previously, the San Francisco Giants and New York Yankees were the two most frequently mentioned teams alongside Bellinger, but now a new contender has emerged, the Seattle Mariners. Eh. I don't know. I mean, if I'm Bellinger, I'd go to probably the Yankees first just because of that short porch in right field, and it's the New York fucking Yankees. Then I'd consider San Francisco. Seattle would be third place among those teams. It would be quite the way to use the money the Mariners saved in a recent trade that moved Jarrett Kelenic to the Braves. Some other nuggets from that report. The Blue Jays are a good fit for Bellinger, too. Yeah, if you're going to overpay. Once again, it's just really hard for the Blue Jays to sign a free agent. I mean, when was the last big-time free agent that the Toronto Blue Jays signed? I, I can't think of one. I feel like when they got Roger Clemens, that was through a trade. When they got Ricky Henderson, I mean, we're going way back, right? That was obviously, I think, through a trade. They traded for Josh Donaldson. It was a, that was a big deal at the time. Jose Bautista ended up there 
And I think they just end up keeping him there. But he was a non-tendered free agent, I believe, from Pittsburgh that ended up there. Edwin Encarnacion came from the Reds, but pretty sure that was a trade. And he also wasn't a huge guy at the time. He became one, a superstar. They're superstars. You got you to gotta get them there first. Or you got to trade for them. Or they need to be homegrown. Simple as that. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Oh, Morrissey also speculates that Soto is more likely for the Yankees and Bellinger. The Yankees would need to give up prospects to get him, and Soto would be a mere one-year rental. Okay, so that's why the Padres are considering getting rid of Juan Soto. It's just that he's going to become a free agent. That's the team, then. Fuck that. Let's do this. I think Soto's the fit for the Blue Jays. That's the guy that if the Blue Jays think they're ready to go after this thing, you go ahead and trade for it. You bring him in on a one-year rental, and then you show him how great the city of Toronto is, and you get him all jazzed up to play there. He has a great year. The Blue Jays go to the playoffs. And then you resign them. I mean, that's best case scenario for the Blue Jays. That's where I feel like they should put their attention. All right. Of all the shows, that was certainly one of them. Back tomorrow with another daily hustle. Do not know if we are going to have a Deuces Wild tonight. Will is not in town. So we will not have him on have been looking potentially to replace him. So there's a, a couple pretty decent names we've been chasing to see if we can get on here for a night. And I'll let you know if that happens or pay attention if that happens, but we'll blast it out all over social media and everything else. Uh, if not, no big deal. There's a chance we could run the Deuces Wild show tomorrow as well when we lock in the guest slash co-host. All right. Everyone have a fantastic day. Oh, I, I just opened the chat for the first time. And John Davis. What's up, dude? Collierville, Tennessee. I don't know what's happened to our weather reports, man. Seriously. But right now in Truckee, 48 degrees outside. High of 56 today. Holy shit. I knew it was warm. I didn't know it was that warm. I don't know. We had plans to go to Reno to go play pickleball indoors, but I mean, you could find some outdoor games here today. Weather is beautiful. Uh, apparently, though, we could have some snow showers coming on Thursday. John Emilio Ramos, Henderson, and Makati City. Thanks for making us international once again, motherfucker. Amo, Michelle Drew, Luker, rest of the crew. And by the way, if you're listening on Apple, you're listening on Spotify, where that's where the majority of the people do actually listen. If you want to join us live, we get going anytime between 8 and 10 a.m. Sometime between then. Uh, it, it times out after an hour. So just know this. If you see a scheduled show, within that hour, I will start that show. Otherwise, I have to cancel it. But it all depends on life and what my responsibility is as a husband and a father and every 
thing else that I got going on in my life each and every single morning. But we're doing a good job creating the content, putting it out here. Everyone have a great day. We will see you tonight, tomorrow morning. Yeah, whatever. See ya!